What I didn't do, though, is do a cash flow analysis and do a, you know, forward-looking pro forma, or I didn't do any of that because, one, I didn't know you how to do that. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Tron Jordan or Jornheim. Are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock. Let's rock it. All right. So, well, what's the beauty of podcasting is that we're pretty much on the exact opposite sides of the world. That's and, right. Yeah, which is pretty cool really, when you think about what we can do. Well, Tron wins the award as the most clearest, most brief, and straight-to-the-point bio. And let me read you. Tron Jordheim is a business guy, podcaster, writer, and speaker who spends a lot of time on operating self-storage portfolios. And in there fact, you, go, you got it. Man, bam. And, you know, that got me so interested that I was just going through some of the, you know, your LinkedIn. I was looking at your, the company, rhwcapital.com, you know, seeing some of the nice. stuff you're doing and thinking about, you know, what an interesting idea. And I want to highlight this for one reason. And that is because self-storage is somewhat of a mature industry in the U.S., but in Asia, there's a huge opportunity. So for those listeners in Asia who are thinking, hmm, what do I need to know about self-storage? Well, maybe you've met your yes. man and you'll be able to follow up on the show notes. We'll provide information so you can get in touch with Tron and maybe he can be someone that can provide you some real, real insights. So Tron, take a minute, fill in any further tidbits about your life. Yes. So my life is uh, some days interesting. I meet so many interesting people just from the things I do and the people I bump into. And now I'm talking to you and I'm probably going to meet a couple interesting people because I talk to you. And so that's really what my life is about is the interesting people I run into every day. And sometimes I forget about the interesting people I know and I bump into them in a coffee shop and go, oh my gosh, this guy would take my phone call and he's like an incredible... How do I meet these people? So it is so cool. That is really the fun part about being me right now. I love that. And I think, you know, one of the things, the audience can't see the video, but if they saw the video, they'd see we have the same hairstyle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, one of the things about getting older in life is you really do realize that your network is your net worth. And I want to also say in another way, too, that I've found that, you know, as I often say to young people, you know, prepare yourself. Life will get hard. You will face some major ups and downs. And this is where the concept of trust comes in. And it's trust we talk about mostly in business, on the podcast and things like that. But in our personal life, you are going to need trusting relationships to help you function throughout a life of ups and downs. So those connections, those connections, the relationships you're talking about have real value. And I hope also, as I teach ethics for CFA, young financial analysts and young financial professionals, I always say that, you know, think about the number of people 
that you truly trust with something that you don't want to go out into the public. And the fact is, is that most people probably have one or two people they trust. And just thinking about that is proof that trust is a scarce commodity. Yes, sir. And so when we develop it, we're really developing something that is valuable. And so the last thing, and I'm talking a little bit long because I just got excited about it, but um, the last thing I'd say, yeah, it's going to be yours in a second. So get ready. But, and so the last thing I would say is that, you know, it's easy to say, huh, do I trust this person? Do I trust that person? But the question is, when your friends are asked the same question, who do they trust? Do they name you? Do they name you right off the bat? That's the challenge in life is to build yourself into a trustworthy person. So relationships, connections, wow. and trust. Right. But I'd say to be fair is that you can't trust everybody for everything is you've also got to know what you can trust people for and don't expect to be able to trust them for things you can't trust them for. You know, not everybody's a thousand percent trustworthy on everything because they can't be. Yep. So it's a good point. That it's makes a good... it a little complicated too, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's where you also come up with the idea of expertise. If somebody wanted to look at how to value stocks in Asia, they're probably not going to ask you. They're going to ask me. No, I hope not. And they're not going to trust that, but they hopefully will trust what I say. And in the right, same right. case, if they ask me about self-storage in particular in America, they damn well better not trust me because I know nothing about it. So, all right. Yeah, great. I'm with you. Great, great kickoff. Now, though, it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one oh goes God. into their worst investment thinking it my will be. Worst investment ever. Yeah. Well, I kind of wish the question was, what was the biggest opportunity you missed? But that's not the question. So I could go on about the opportunities I missed. But my worst investment was as a young business person, as a young entrepreneur, because I've always had that entrepreneur bug for better or worse, for richer, for poorer, for the, all of it. So I used to run a dog training school and I used to train protection dogs for private people. I trained them with sport. There's an international sport called Schutzhund training. I was very involved in as a young man. And because of the exchange rate between the U.S. and Germany and because there were a million good dog trainers in Germany who had nice German shepherds and Rottweilers, I could go to Germany and buy some really nice dogs, bring them back to the States, do a little finishing with them, place them with a family, and make a very nice margin. And I had gotten a really good reputation as someone who knew how to pick a dog right and who knew how to place a dog with the right people. And, you know, it was good. It was so fun and it was good. And I thought, well, my God, if I can do this, if I had the right facility, I could really do something with it. And so I had the sort of Petco idea, you know, 40 years ago where we were going to have a dog training academy and a field the size of a soccer field. And, and then we were going to have a vet's office and a grooming shop and a big supply store that had all the different kind of foods and toys. And what a great idea. So I thought, well, I need a location. And at the time where I lived in New York City, New York City was going through a lot of financial difficulties. And 
I will say this to be impolite. The idiots who ran the city were selling off parkland to reduce their debt, which to me is like the stupidest thing anyone could do. And they sold off about an acre and a half piece of parkland right smack in the middle of Brooklyn that must have had 100,000 cars passing it every day. Uh, it used to be softball fields. And the guy who bought it didn't know what he wanted to do with it. So he was going to rent it to me as my dog school. And so, you know, my entrepreneur juices are going. I'm like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I'm going to have what looks like a country dog training academy right smack in the middle of Brooklyn with 100,000 people passing by every day. It's like, I'm going to do that. So what I didn't do, though, is do a cash flow analysis and do a, you know, forward looking pro forma or I didn't do any of that because one, I didn't know you how to do that. <laughs> Two, I figured, hey, I'm selling, you know, six dogs a month now. If I can do that and sell 10 dogs a month, I can do it. That was my financial analysis of the whole business program. And it worked great for a couple months until all the creepers started, the expense creepers and the time creepers. And the, so I needed to hire a guy to help me as a kennel helper to help take care of the dogs and exercise them. And, you know, then the creepers started and then had a couple of days of bad weather and had to cancel class. And then pretty soon, like, oh, my gosh, I just grew myself broke. And I was selling more dogs and I got more connections and started working with the police's departments. And I just grew myself broke. I got to the point where there was no way I could keep caught up. And okay, fine. It was a very small scale. I was young and silly and all of that. But how many really interesting businesses have grown themselves broke because they didn't do all of the cash flow analysis and forward-looking performers and do some sort of risk analysis on cash flow and so on. And I see people today, people who are clever business people who've had really good success in businesses get into things just as foolishly as I got into my dog training academy. And it's, you know, and I look at that and go, oh, deja vu, deja vu. But it was so stupid because had I not done that, I'd probably still be selling a couple dogs a month and doing something else and making a real living and having lots of fun with the dogs. But had I not done all that, I would not have learned a lot of lessons that make me a lot smarter, a lot more careful, and, you know, have brought me here to this point. So, you know, it's all good. But nevertheless, it was stupid at the time. So let's now go back to that and let's look at the lessons that you learned from this experience. Because the reason why I'm excited about your story and the lessons and further talk about it is because I'm telling you, there's a zillion people out there that are just about to do the exact same thing right now. I believe you. Yeah. So let's talk about what you learned from this experience. Yeah. So I learned, first of all, having some really great ideas doesn't mean they pencil out. And having some really great ideas doesn't mean it has to turn out the way you want it to. It has to be kind of sort of close, but it's got to support itself. And you've got to do some real risk analysis so that you know when you come up against some of these things that are a risk, you recognize them one. It's good to recognize a risk. 
and two, you have some kind of plan for dealing with it or avoiding it. And you've got to be able to anticipate your cash needs over time so you can at least be a month or two ahead of yourself, you know? <laughs> exactly. Okay, that's... So those are the big lessons probably. Got it, got it. Okay, then let me uh, summarize what I took away from your story and then let me know if I missed anything. So I love what you said about I grew myself broke. Like, you know, most of the time, the great book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber talks about the entrepreneurial seizure. And we know it when you meet someone who's in it. It's just so exciting. The story, the idea that they've got, you know, it's, it's all about that exciting idea. And they're in a seizure. And when someone's in a seizure, you know, physically in a seizure, really, it's, it's almost impossible to stop. You have to just try to help to make sure that they don't hurt themselves too bad and don't choke and those types of things. And I'm not an expert on seizures, but that's what I know. And in the entrepreneurial seizure, in some ways, the person just has to go through it. But when you go through that seizure, what ends up happening is that you get so focused on your idea that you lose sight of the other things. So that's the first thing is the concept of that seizure. And the result is, is that sometimes you end up failing to do your research. And I think that if I was to think about my takeaway from it too, is that no matter how great of an idea is, you've got to test it. And you've got to try to build your business incrementally as best that you can. Now people are going, well, how could I have done that? I needed that land. Or how could I have done that? I had to build that huge factory to do it. There is always a way to incrementally build your business. And the benefit of that and this is, I think, the biggest takeaway from me, from my business ideas in my life, is that you have to really test the market. Do you have a product and service that's really valuable? Number one. Number two is you have to understand, can you execute this? And then, Well, that's you know, a great point because sometimes the best ideas are not executable. And what I've learned over time is, doesn't matter how good the idea is, how much of it can you do? And that much of it is a good idea. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I go back in time when we started Coffee Works in Thailand, when we were just young, my best friend Dale and I started it when we were about 28. And, you know, we didn't do nearly enough research. We just were very excited about our idea. And luckily we were in a country that was going to be booming. Of course, we hit a crash in 1997 that almost bankrupted us. But of course, we had the financial resources and the ability to get through that. But you know, when I look at the, all the craziness that went on at that time, I really understand the idea about incrementally implementing. So let me ask you the next question, which is based upon what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn in your life, what one action would you recommend our listeners? Now, and I'm speaking specifically about that listener who is today in an entrepreneurial seizure and in the process of trying to implement something, what would you recommend to them to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, so ask yourself a simple question. Is it worth getting your hand cut off over? <laughs> because if you stick your hand in the wrong machine, you're going to get your hand cut off. And if you think it's worth getting your hand cut off, go for it. If you're not sure you want to lose your hand, step back a minute and take another look at the machine and think twice about it. Yes. 
And in the world of finance, we call that risk analysis. In the world of real life, it's called physical consequences. All right. Fantastic. Now, let me ask you a question. So what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? So my number one goal for the next 12 months is to continue to talk to all the interesting people I know and get it on tape or get it on video. Because every time I sit down and have a little deeper conversation with some of the interesting people I know, I grow, my brain grows, my spirit grows. They turn me on to another business opportunity. So that's my main goal. Love it. And And I think some of your listeners in Asia, it's going to be year of the pig. I was born in the year of the pig. So my other goal is to make sure that it's a good double birth year and not something else. So I'm working on it. Fantastic. Uh, We'll see what happens. We got lots of little piggy pictures all around in Asia right now for the year of the pig. Uh, (laughs) I'm also thankful to talk to you because it reminds me what you've just said. One of the things I've always wanted to do is get more recordings of talking with my mother, my 80 year old mother. And I have some stuff that I want to talk to about and record. And so you've incentivized me to do that. Do it. It'll be great. I had my mom on a little podcast episode the other day because her and my dad are getting very elderly and they're so annoyed that most places that our societies have no plan for what to do with people after they've outlived their golden years. They're like older than old. And now what? Right. So but she gave me some great stuff. So you should do it. Talk to her. Fantastic. I love it. All right. Well, there you have it, listeners. Another story of a loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Tron, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just keep listening to Andrew's stuff so we can point you in the right direction. Thanks so much for having me here, and I hope to talk to you soon. Fantastic. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth, fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.